Heavenly Father, we love you, and Lord, we do want to give you thanks for your amazing grace. Grace, undeserved, Lord, that you freely offered out of your love. Father, we thank you for all the blessings you bestow on us and in blessing us with your word and blessing us with fellowship, blessing, with, blessing us with all of provision, Lord, uh, so that we lack nothing of all that we need. We lack nothing pertaining to life and godliness. We lack nothing pertaining to the Christian life, what you've called us to be, what you've called us to do. It's all of your grace. It's all by your power. Lord, again, tonight as we look at this passage, uh, consider, consider the verses that we'll be looking at and reading. We pray, Lord, for understanding. We pray that you use it to strengthen our faith, trust in you. We pray that you use it to motivate us to have a greater concern for those who are perishing. And Lord, for our own lives that we pursue holiness. Lord, use all of these things, your truth, your goodness towards us, your mercy and grace and love. Use the knowledge of all of these things, Father, for our sanctification, for our good, for your honor and glory. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go back to um, John 3 tonight. And I want to do a, a, a little bit of a, a brief recap here and, uh, and kind, of, kind of finish out what we were talking about this morning and, and move on into the next few verses. Um, and Lord willing, um, make good progress here. <laughs> Time moves quickly. So John chapter 3. And I'm gonna uh, gonna read again. I'm gonna go ahead and start back at verse one, John chapter three, verse one, and read down through fifteen. <clears throat> verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Amen. <clears throat> may God bless the reading of His Word. We um, talked this morning about the necessity of the new birth. That is, that is the issue that is brought to the front here. The new birth. New life. The new birth, of course, is the beginning of the new life. And that's what Jesus is referring to. That's what he's going to be talking, John here is going to be alluding to all the way through the gospel. Life in Christ. New life. The new life found in Christ. So we talked about the necessity of the new birth. That is, Jesus said, you must be born again. First, he says, um, with, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, and let me go back to verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus replies to, to uh, uh, Nicodemus, unless one is born again. Now, the, ter- the term for again there can, can be translated above or again. So, depending on what translation you're looking at, you, you may have either one of those. Um, he is talking about uh, 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 both apply because he is talking about a second birth here. Obviously, um, in fact, you know Nicodemus' question: How can a man go back into uh, into his mother's womb and be born when he's old? Implies that he understood it to mean again, uh, and, and Jesus doesn't refute that. But also, he's he's certainly talking about a a birth from above. It's a spiritual birth, born of the spirit. So, the word can actually mean either one. And, uh, and so some translations translate it differently. Born again or born from above. So Jesus says, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The idea there is you can't even perceive of it. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? That's verse 4. And Jesus answers again with a similar statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, a little bit different wording this time. We discussed this this morning. Um, But I think talking about the same thing. In other words, when he says born of water and Spirit, he's saying the same thing he said in verse 3 when he used the phrase born again. He's talking about the same event, in other words. So he refers to it as being born again or born from above. And here he refers to it as being born of water and the Spirit. 
And uh, I, I mentioned this morning that I, I think that's a reference to Ezekiel 36, um, verses, uh, what is it, 25, 26, I think it is, in Ezekiel. Might as well turn there because we're going to go back and look at that uh, again some more here in a few minutes. Uh, if you want to turn there, just hold your place. Hold both, both spots. Um, Ezekiel 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. So there you have God prophesying, uh, God giving a word to Israel through the mouth of Ezekiel the prophet. Speaking of a future time when there's going to be uh, a cleansing, a restoration uh, in Israel. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. That's the imagery that he uses. going to be cleansed as, as though, um, like, you know, similarly to, to how we cleanse ourselves with, with a bath or something. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. So he's saying, I'm going to cleanse you of your wickedness. And he uses... Um, Water to uh, to image that to picture that, and then he says in verse twenty six, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. So it goes beyond this this new life that Ezekiel is talking about that, that God is talking about through Ezekiel. It goes beyond just just forgetting past sins or or even current or future sins. It goes beyond merely forgiveness, which that in itself is a great thing. But he's saying, I'm actually going to change your heart, going to put a new spirit within you so that you turn from your sin. That's verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Lord says, this, this new life, when I, when I cleanse you, when I sprinkle you with water and cleanse you and put a new spirit within you and put my spirit within you, is going to actually cause you to be obedient to me. Now that's what we were kind of highlighting this morning. That's, that's the new birth that we're talking about here. That's the evidence of it. That's the result of it. It brings about a radical change from spiritual death to spiritual life, from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, from hatred of God to love of God. And you could go on and on and on with different um, analogies that the Scripture uses. So it, it is new life. It's not like the old. There's a change. There's a redirection, a reorientation, a new love a new satisfaction so that now the person who experiences this walks in obedience to the Lord. Forsake idols. And boy, there's a lot of application you can make there. Um, whatever whatever the, the different idols in, are in, in our lives uh, so that you turn from idols like Paul says to the Thessalonians or says about the Thessalonians you turn from idols to serve the living God. So that's the picture here. New life. New life. You walk away from idolatry, and now you live in obedience and submission to the Lord. So, Jesus, I think, is saying to Nicodemus, you should have known this. You sh in other words, you should understand this concept of being born again. You should understand this concept of being born from above. You should understand this concept of new life because 
It's in the Old Testament, and you're a master of Israel. You're a teacher of Israel, Jesus says. And Jesus, so, so in verse 5, Jesus uses water and spirit. Again, I think a reference to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. And he says, unless, essentially he says, unless that happens to you, unless you've been sprinkled, cleansed, unless you've been um, you, you've had uh, God put a new spirit within you and His own spirit within you. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he says first in verse 3, unless you've been born again, you cannot perceive it. And in verse 5, you cannot enter it. The new birth is essential. Verse 6, Jesus expounds. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. So, again, he's talking about a, a radical change. And, we all, and he's talking about something different. You know, Nicodemus raises the question, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That, that's fleshly birth. That which is born of flesh is flesh. You go back into the mother's womb is kind of the implication here. All, that's, all that is produced then is, is a fleshly birth, just like the first time, I mean, if it were possible to do that. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about returning to the mother's womb to be born of the flesh again. I'm talking about being born of spirit. So he's talking about the nature of the new birth. It's, it's not of the flesh. That is, not meaning sin nature there, but just meaning physical body, flesh. It's not of the flesh. But it's spiritual in nature. It's a spiritual birth. It's like physical birth. I mean, there are some similarities. Jesus is using that uh, to picture it. But it's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So now he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again reiterating there, um, and, and that's, uh, uh, again, an implication that it is absolutely necessary for one to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. And Jesus says, don't marvel that I said that. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. Now, he's still talking about the, the nature of it and the operation of it. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Now, it's, it's interesting here. I've always found this interesting. In the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and this, of course, the New Testament uh, um, would have been written in Greek, um, but in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word for wind or breath and the word for spirit are the same word. In the Hebrew, it's ruach, ruach. So you, you, that's the word we were just looking at in Ezekiel 36. And we'll see again in a moment another passage you want to look at. In the Greek, it's pneuma. So they, they translate it differently. 
um, in our English translations um, just by context. But it would be right either way. So, for example, go back to uh, verse 8, and you could read it this way. The breath breathes where it wishes, or the Spirit breathes where it wishes. That word wind is the same word as Spirit. Or you can back up and you look at verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Those, those words there, Spirit, is Spirit. That's the word pneuma. The word wind in verse 8 is the word pneuma. The Spirit blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I think the translation is correct. I think verse 8 should be translated when, and probably every, probably all the translations we're looking at in this room, that's the way it has it. <clears throat> but I just think it's interesting that the two words are the same. And that Jesus uses them, one to picture the other. The when to picture the work of the Spirit. So he's saying, here's, here's the nature of it first in verse 6. This is a spiritual birth. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. And now he talks about the operation of it, which we refer to this morning as, as the sovereign work of God in the new birth. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. Now again, he's just using a, a, an analogy here. You don't have any control over the wind. It blows where it wishes. But you do see the effects of it. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, he's telling Nicodemus, this, is, this, this new birth that I'm describing that you don't understand, and you're asking, how, do, how does it... How does, how does it happen? Do you go back into the womb? Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's, this is a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. And it's a sovereign work of God. You have as much control of it, less actually, but just by way of analogy, he's saying you've got about as much control over it as you do over the wind. You see the effects, but... You can't tell the origin of it or the destination of it, and you don't know what it's going to do next. You don't know where it's going to blow. You just see the result. Nicodemus said in verse 9, and he's probably um, getting more um, curious here, and he says in verse 9, How can these things be? Or literally, how. How are these things able to come to pass? Well, Jesus responds in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus should have known these things. They're talked about in passages like we just read in Ezekiel 36, or uh, reference to the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. Where God says, I'm going to write my law in your heart. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. You'll know the Lord. 
You should have known these things. You, you're, you're the teacher. And, it, and he's emphatic there. There's a definite article in front of the word teacher. You're the teacher. So, so Nicodemus had, had high standing. He was, he was obviously a very well-known, respected Pharisee. You're the teacher. You're the professor, doctor, reverend. <laughs> Nicodemus. And you don't understand these things? Then he goes on in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, now we don't know for sure what all's going on in the heart of Nicodemus here. I, I, I suggested this morning, I'm going to suggest it again here as, as a possibility, maybe he's one of the ones that John has in mind back in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 2. He says, uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So many saw the signs that he was was doing and they believed on him and yet, their faith was lacking. They didn't really believe. They, did, they weren't really trusting Him. And so Jesus didn't entrust Himself to them. And now Jesus says to Nicodemus, we just, we just testify of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Then he says in verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now I think he's referring there to what he, when he says, If I have told you earthly things, I think he's referring there to what he has just said. He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about regeneration. Now that may sound a little strange. You may say, well, that, isn't regeneration a heavenly thing? Well, yes, as far as the nature of it, it's spiritual like we just saw. But it's, it's something that happens on the earth. It, it's not something that happens in the future kingdom after the resurrection day. So, Nicodemus comes inquiring. We, we see that you're from God. No man can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus proceeds to show Nicodemus you don't really even believe what we're saying. You don't even understand nor believe earthly things. Basic, elementary teaching found clearly in the Old Testament. In this case, the new birth. Regeneration. Being born again. And if I had told you earthly things, such as what it means to be born again and and the nature of it, and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is saying, we can't go deeper. You don't even understand regeneration. You can't perceive the things of God, the kingdom of God. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, referring to himself. And I think that's his way of saying, I'm the only one that can make these things known. 
Now, I want to do a couple things here. I want to give you an example of what Jesus is describing. Another, another picture, actually, but it's kind of along the lines of the analogy here. What Jesus is describing in verse 8, speaking of God's sovereign work in regeneration, and then talk about uh, just briefly about uh, the power behind all of it. And, and the reason I'm using the word power, uh, because I'm, I'm thinking, how can, how, can this, how can these things happen? How can the new life, new birth, how can that even exist? How can it be? And I'm thinking of Nicodemus' question. How are these things able to come to pass? What enables these things to happen? And Jesus answers that in this verse. Real quick, let's go back to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Now keep in mind, again, what Jesus is referring to in John 3, he's talking about the work of the Spirit in salvation. There's a great picture of it here. Uh, and remember, too, what I mentioned a moment ago, in, in both languages, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, um, in, in Hebrew, the same word can be translated wind or spirit. It's, it works the same way in the Greek. The Greek word for spirit is the same as the Greek word for, for uh, wind. Keep that in mind, too, as we read through these, these verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? It's a good question. It's sort of like Nicodemus' question. How are these things able to come to pass? Is that possible? Ezekiel says, and I answered, O Lord God, you know. <laughs> then he said to me, that is God spoke to Ezekiel, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath, ruach, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Again, the word ruach. There was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And some of your translations there may say wind. Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the wind or the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, 
and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Notice that's the third time he said that. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. That's another phrase that he keeps repeating. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now what a great picture of what Jesus describes in chapter eight, when he's in, uh, in chapter three, verse eight of John, when he's talking about the new birth, the wind blows where it wills. This, this is not a birth as a result of the decision of men. Remember John one thirteen. To them he gave the power to become sons of God, right? To those who believe on his name, who were born not of the flesh, not of the decision of men, not of the will of a husband, but of God. It's a spiritual birth, a birth from God. So Jesus says, the wind blows where it listeth. This is the new birth. You don't have any control over it, but you see the effects. You see the changed life. You see the new life, actually. Life out of death. Dry bones now living. And so, here's another picture of it in Ezekiel where the Lord is talking about His people Israel and their restoration. A valley of dry bones. He likens them to... And Ezekiel says, can these... Or the Lord says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, you know. Well, they can if God breathes life into them. So he tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Because that's what they're lacking. Spirit. Life. Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the breath. And so Ezekiel, in obedience to the Lord, prophesies. And God breathes life into them. And what he's been saying all along comes to pass. The breath came into them and they lived. And they lived. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's no new birth. There's no regeneration without an act of God without divine intervention, without the Spirit of God breathing into the life, into the, into the individual and granting life. It's a sovereign work of God. Well, Nicodemus says, how 
can these things be? How are these things able to come to pass? And I think Jesus gives the answer as to, uh, to that question as to upon what basis. In other words, what, what has, has made it possible for these things to happen? Gives the answer for that in verse 14. And he alludes to here another Old Testament passage, Numbers 21. And Jesus says in John 3.14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So Jesus says, Unless a man is born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again or born from above or born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But when a man is born again, he takes on new life. He becomes alive. And, and there's, there's another um, interchange there where he's using phrases interchangeably. I think, in other words, the life that he's speaking of is, is the same as entering the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God is to have eternal life. So when he says in verse 3 and verse 5, unless this happens, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. He's, he's talking about the same thing that he's talking about, for example, in verse 15. Whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That is, you believe in Christ, you enter the kingdom of God. But that doesn't happen without the new birth. Without being radically changed by the Spirit of God. And, and what has made it possible? What enables that to happen? Jesus says, well, it's like this. In verse 14, and this would be a narrative that Nicodemus, again, would have been very familiar with. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and you may remember the story in Numbers 21, again, the children of Israel are complaining, why did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? And they're complaining about the manna, they're tired of eating it. And so God sends Fiery serpents among them. Venomous snakes. And many of the people are bitten and they die. They perish. And so then they begin to cry out to the Lord for mercy. And God instructs Moses and Aaron to make a, a, a serpent out of bronze on a pole. And they stick it up in the mix, midst of the camp. They raise that bronze serpent up in the midst of the camp. And God tells Moses, when someone is bitten, they need to look at the serpent in order to live. Look and live. They, they are bitten and they look at the serpent. Instead of dying, they will live. And that's how God delivered them from that plague 
Well, Jesus says here in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The term lifted up there is interesting. It's used in John several times. Um, on about three, two or three occasions, it's used as a euphemism for crucifixion. A direct reference to being crucified. But the, but the term has a twofold meaning. Um, to, to be raised up, it's, it's the, so it's, it, the idea of exaltation. So while it, while it carries that idea, it still is a reference to and was, and was uh, apparently commonly used as a reference to crucifixion. So Jesus says, if I be lifted up, that is, if I be exalted, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Or, if I be crucified, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And the two are really one in the same because the crucifixion was the point of his exaltation. So he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent, why did Moses do that? By God's instruction, so that those who were perishing might look upon it and live. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Similar reason, right? He's, that's why he's using the simile. Because this is God's means for those who are perishing so they might look on Him and live. There's one significant difference, of course. There was no life in the bronze serpent. It was a symbol. You know, you, you, it, it was a symbol of God's deliverance and mercy. You look on the serpent... And it was the, that was the means that God used to save. In Jesus' case, we know from the prologue, don't we? In Him was life. So He is actually the saving agent. Look to Him and live. He, he's not pointing to something else. He's not, it's not to put us in mind of something. You know, look to Jesus to remind us of something else. He is the life. In Him was life. Later in John 11, He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Look to Him and live. So He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So again, he's saying this is the way that life is obtained. This, this is the new birth. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, in answer to Nicodemus' question, this event that he's talking about is what enables these things to happen. Nicodemus says, how are these things able to come to pass? This new birth, this being born again, this having life breathed into you by the Spirit of God. And Jesus is 
essentially saying, I think it's possible because of the cross. It's possible because of the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes on Him may have eternal life. Those who believe, that is, those who trust in Christ, in the work of Christ on the cross, who trust in Him as an atoning sacrifice for their sins, those who trust in Him for righteousness have entered into the kingdom, have been born again, have eternal life. And it's all because of the cross. In other words, that's where He purchased it. <laughs> and that's, that's where He purchased the blessings that we receive at the cross. Let's pray. And we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon the elements. Father, we do pray now for your blessing upon the bread and upon the juice, upon us, upon our minds, Lord, Enable us to do uh, receive this supper consistent with the instructions we just heard as a remembrance of the Lord's death and to be thankful, Lord, for Your grace and mercy toward us. Our salvation is purchased not by us, but for us, by Jesus at Calvary. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, hold the bread and the juice until everyone is served. And we'll eat and drink together.